My favorite learning was just what's going on in the data engineering space. The big query to me at that time, it was just mind blowing. dump four or five petabytes of data into a big data store and just query it all at once. It was like stunning to me. Like I didn't know this thing was possible. And you can do that in an affordable fashion. It's kind of that learning that kind of translates to what we're doing here at Looker. Welcome to Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Nick Caldwell. He's a chief product officer over at Looker, and he's a former VP of engineering at Reddit. And previous to that, he was a Microsoft general manager. In this episode, we talk big data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. We also talk about his experience at Reddit, moving them to their new modern redesign, and we go into the details of what he's working on now at Looker. This is an amazing episode if you want to learn more about machine learning, so please stay tuned. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically they give us a machine and we run a dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. With DigitalOcean, they have a marketplace where you just click, I want discourse. You provision a droplet and you're good to go. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Nick. Hey, Nick, tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Sure. Uh, I'm Nick Caldwell. I'm Chief Product Officer at Looker. Uh, before that, uh, I was uh, General Manager at Microsoft working on a product called Power BI. And then before that, I was VP of Engineering uh, at Reddit. Awesome. And tell us a bit about uh, Looker and what you're working on right now. Love to. You know, Looker uh, uh, is a, a new way of thinking about data uh, engineering infrastructure. Around the office, we like to call it like an API for data. Uh, the way the product works is uh, we can connect to a multitude of SaaS data sources or, or your on-premise store or any sort of data that you might have around your business. We pull it into a, a modern data warehouse, like imagine a Snowflake or, or a BigQuery. And then on top of that, we have a very, very intelligent uh, semantic layer, which you can use to describe all of the data that's uh, within your organization. And we give you an API to that semantic layer. So you can then query that data uh, in a connected form that will allow you to build experiences uh, 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 to solve any sort of need in your organization uh, for data, from business intelligence to custom applications to, to data delivery. Uh, all can be powered uh, by our platform in a, in a governed way. Okay. And what, uh, can you give some examples of like different use cases and some of the companies that are using it? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, uh, one of my favorite ones is a company called Deliveroo. They're kind of a, a, a delivery service that's prominent in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. And um, they use uh, Looker to, to try and inform their delivery drivers where they need to be uh, in the optimal places around town uh, to, to, to be located. Um, the, uh, the cool thing about that, again, it's, it's all powered from our data API, uh, but we're not delivering them an experience which is a traditional BI uh, experience like a dashboard. It's a custom mobile application that the delivery driver can, uh, can, can access via iPhone or Android. Um, so the thinking here is that we want to uh, you know, uh, unlock the power of an entire, uh, the entirety of your business data but build experiences that reach people in forms that in forms formats that are accessible, and try to help them accomplish things uh, with with the data. Um, another example of this, I can't name the specific company because it's it's confidential, but it's one of my favorite examples. Um, it's a, a large scale consumer website that uh, does 
uh, a lot of uh, uh, Google ads and Facebook ads. Um, and they use Looker to monitor uh, the um, effectiveness of their ad campaigns and adjust uh, uh, marketing bids in real time. So, um, you know, they, they get data in from Google ads, analyze it using uh, the Looker API, and then simultaneously use the Looker API to push bid adjustments back out uh, to the various platforms. And uh, as a result of that, they've managed to just optimize the effectiveness of their ad campaigns and make more money. So it's a, it's a really cool use of the platform. That's awesome. So can you explain a little bit about like how it works? So are you bringing data and bringing data sets in and then creating custom, you know, solutions for these companies or how, how does that work from a product standpoint? I'd love to explain that because like we're doing something very, very different here at Looker. Um, for, for those of in the audience who are, who are uh, interested in data engineering, data ops, and maybe understand ETL, um, Looker is taking a very, very different approach uh, to other uh, products in the marketplace. So um, what we do is we, we get you to extract and load your data, right? So, you know, pull it from, you know, Salesforce or pull it from your, your uh, SQL server or wherever you have your data stored and land it into one large data lake, all right? This is very different from an, a, tri a traditional approach where you'd have a whole team of people doing ETL and, and trying to figure out which, which are the best aggregate tables to optimize and all that sort of stuff. No, no, we just say, hey, look, like modern data stores are extremely powerful. You can put tons and tons of data into them. Uh, you can query them uh, uh, without uh, losing sp uh, speed. Uh, and in some cases, you can even do analytics in the database. So like we're just seeing this trend where the data layer is becoming more and more powerful and Looker is riding that trend. So land your data into one uh, large, massively parallel data warehouse. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, we have a language called LookML, which allows you to semantically describe the data that's in your, your warehouse, right? Um, you know, what are the most important business metrics that you care about? What are the different shapes of tables that you'd like to materialize? LookML is, is this intermediate semantic layer. And then uh, what our magic is, the, the, the thing that makes Looker work, we can examine that semantic layer. And based on the types of data you want to query, we can then figure out the most optimal SQL to write against the underlying data store. So if you've got uh, your data lake is a BigQuery, uh, we know the best way to talk to BigQuery. Same thing for Snowflake or any of the uh, other uh, 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 data dialects we support. I think we have more than 100 right now. But our specialization is that mapping from the semantic layer like uh, to, down to the very, very efficient uh, uh, SQL queries that, uh, that allow you to do what's called... Uh, uh, schema on read. So you don't have to go and do all of this uh, complex uh, uh, ETL and shunting data uh, uh, around. Land it in one spot, uh, mm -hmm. describe what you want the data to look like, and we'll take care of the rest. That's very cool. That's very different, very different approach than some of the other systems and some of the other methods that I've seen where it's like you're trying to match database tables and queries. Yeah. And you know, doing all these joins and like what aggregates, you know, uh, you know, yeah. how should I design my star schema? The, the, the cool thing for a data engineering uh, person when they look at, at Looker is they realize that, you know, all of the work their 10 person data eng team was doing could now be done with maybe two people. And that leaves you a ton of capacity to then go do what you really want to do, which is enable end users to actually make use of the data. So, so Looker is optimizing it at two ends of the spectrum. One is way, way easier to manage your data engineering and data ops. You just, you mm -hmm. just reduce complexity in very significant ways. And then on the other end, we've got this API that allows you to do way more than just uh, dashboards and reports. You can build any sort of experience uh, that, that you might imagine. So. Very cool. And so your role, you've come in and you're primarily primarily focusing on product. Uh, and you've been there at the time of recording this, you know, uh, five months. <laughs> five months. So it's it's this is all. Uh, so this is all pretty new, right? Well, sort of. I mean, I I've been working in the BI space for uh, a long time, and and um, you know, it, it, Looker is new because of its approach. Uh, BI uh, is is a, a, a older, I think, business. Like, there's lots of different BI companies, and what's special about Looker is that we're approaching it differently. But yeah, I mean, I, I uh, I'm really passionate about this. Uh, you know, I spent um, 
you know, a lot of time at Microsoft standing up uh, a product called uh, Power BI. And, uh, and then at Reddit, among, among many of the things I was responsible for, you know, one I was, I think, most passionate about was helping them stand up their data engineering, data science, and, and machine learning teams. Uh, we did a lot of other stuff, too. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to dive into Reddit a little bit and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that because you were there kind of during this transition of, you know, when they were basically kind of modernizing the platform. Uh, you know, Steve Huffman had come back in as CEO of the company and, you know, one of his top priorities was to kind of bring, you know, Reddit to the modern age and you were one of the engineers who helped make that happen. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a really fun time to be at the the company. Rapid growth. Uh, I mean, without diving directly in, into the tech, like I think part of the reason they brought me in is is a, a track record of of scaling engineering teams very very quickly. So I think when mm-hmm. I got there, Reddit had like thirty five or forty engineers, uh, and then when I left, I think we had about one hundred and seventy, um, wow. and I was there for about two years. So this was you know, really, really rapid uh, growth that enabled us to to invest heavily in, you know, uh, a site-wide redesign, a new ad platform, uh, more moderator tools, mobile application. We uh, we started redoing search. We added the machine learning uh, stuff. Um, there's an organization inside Reddit called Anti-Evil, whose job is to, to help protect the site from, from bad actors. All that stuff just spun up r- really quickly. It was, it was quite fun uh, to, be, to be a part of that, you know. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full-stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine and we run a dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. With DigitalOcean, they have a marketplace where you just click, I want discourse. You provision a droplet and you're good to go. I mean, all of those <laughs> topics, I've got questions, honestly. Go for it, man. <laughs> uh, so I've been a Reddit user for a really long time. Uh, I, I think before we recorded, I mentioned I was part of that like original dig transition. So for <laughs> anyone listening, I'm aging myself right now. But uh, so, you know, there was this other content aggr- aggregation site called dig. Uh, it was Kevin Rose running that way back when. Uh, before This was before smartphones. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then Reddit kind of took off uh, when Dig rolled a, they rolled out a major update to their platform and their user base basically just said, nope, we're leaving. Yeah. Uh, and they went straight to Reddit. And that was like what initially propelled Reddit like to become one of, which is now one of the top websites on the internet to this day. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then a lot of that infrastructure was built back then. Uh, and then you just helped modernize it. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, the dig story, I, I think, is it boils down to they um, they went to publisher driven content and uh, away know, from user generated, yeah. away from user generated content. And and Reddit is all about communities and, and user uh, generated content. So you know, at that that time, I think I discovered Reddit around the same time you're mentioning. I, my account's mm-hmm. like ten or eleven years old, but yeah, there was a mass exodus from dig. Uh, over uh, to to Reddit around that time, and it's just been growing uh, ever since. And I think Dig is now. I don't even. I don't even. Is Dig still around? I don't even know. I think it got reacquired. It like disappeared for a while and came back. And now I believe it is a publication again. I don't know what their content model is. Yeah. Um, I but certainly I haven't looked at it is, in a while. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do know it is still around as a website that you can go to to this day. But I don't know if it's along the same type of community that it used to be. And I don't believe any of the original people are still involved. I do know that there's a video online somewhere of like Kevin Rose ripping up a Reddit shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there was some uh, animosity back in the early days. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> um, but uh, let, let's get back to, you know, your experience there recently a little bit. Like, so you, you know, like I said, you came in at a point where they, they really were ready to mo- like modernize everything. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the first challenges that you faced when you, you first uh, started working at Reddit? 
Well, there, there's a, a couple. I think the very first one had to do famously with, uh, with, with Reddit search uh, from a tech perspective. Um, I don't know if you, it's not like this anymore, but uh, uh, the, at the time I joined, Reddit's search, um, what you call reliability, the, the chance that a uh, call to the search API would result in, in anything, <laughs> I think it was at like 60 or 65%. It was, it was abysmal, right? So yeah. you, you typically measure like the health of a service in, in terms of the number of, of, of nines of, of uh, availability. And our, our search, we didn't have one nine. It was, that would have been nice. So, um, you know, one of the first things I had to do there just because it was sort of a, an on-fire problem was like start looking at the data infrastructure and uh, how we were going to not only fix search, but just... Uh, we had all these other sort of uh, systems, like uh, the uh, older systems, like the way that we generated our um, data to monitor daily active user usage was run through a, a Hadoop job, uh, a Hadoop script that ran like once a night, and it took like I think uh, t- t- you know something like twenty hours to complete, and no one really understood the code. Uh, <laughs> so there was a lot of stuff like from a data perspective that we uh, that we needed to to manage and. Um, you know, fortunately, um, the, the the team was uh, really, really uh, pr- receptive to to change. That was one of the things that I enjoyed uh, about Reddit. Everyone loves the um, the history of the site, but understood that uh, the infrastructure needed upgrading uh, and some of the experiences needed to to, to be upgraded. The um, mm-hmm. probably the second thing I, I worked on was. Um, uh, what you perceive now is the Reddit redesign. Uh, so we, you know, probably about a month after I, I joined, we started talking about how to make the site more welcoming uh, to the next generation of Redditors. Um, you know, and this is an interesting time because, um, you know, like you, I, I had been used to, to Reddit and it's kind of, you know, hackery, <laughs> not very pretty, not polished form for like a decade. And, um, you know, it, there was a lot of... Um, you know, uh, concerned that like, hey, if we try to make it too pretty, is it going to alienate our our current users who are not only used to the site, but in some cases have invested super heavily in customizing some of the communities? Um, you know, like we were talking about the college football community had, had something like a thousand plus custom flare tags. Um, there are certain communities that have just really gone uh, above and beyond with like, you know, custom bots and, and, and custom CSS. And we want to make sure that we bring those people along while simultaneously making the site more uh, accessible to that next uh, next generation. So, you know, I think largely speaking, we, we managed to uh, to achieve that. It was a very, very careful balance, uh, you know, though, to make sure that communities uh, were, were coming along for the ride. Um, I guess the other final thing, it's a little bit more of a data-driven sort of thing that, that I was excited about uh, when we first joined was uh, our anti-evil team. And... Um, I don't know if it's still called that, but but uh, at the time we, you know, it's a cool name for uh, an important role, which is you know protecting people from bad actors on the site, people who are trying to manipulate uh, votes or brigade or or even just harass other uh, folks on the site. It was fun to be a part of um, thinking, funding that team, and 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 thinking about the the techniques they would use to to combat bad behavior. And on the data side, you know, you had a number of challenges that you had to go through because. You had, as you mentioned, you had to update, you know, their entire their entire data scheme and how they were handling data, and then you were able to implement a lot of modern machine learning practices and, you know, shift algorithms and kind of even change how that content surfaced. I know as a user, like, I noticed a major shift in uh, when you know the algorithms were being changed, and you know there were there were definitely times where like you know, my homepage wasn't quite updating or whatever. There, there were, I, I noticed a couple of hiccups, but for the most part, it was a pretty smooth transition as a user. But I did notice there was a lot of optimizations from a engagement standpoint. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot done to increase engagement and improve engagement. And then, you know, especially when it comes to like text posts and engaging in certain communities, I've noticed that, you know, now when I pull open Reddit, like there's a lot more, I, I, I feel more connected to the other users and I see more content from users and it's a little less of the cat pictures and some of that <laughs> kind of stuff that, you know, kind of made Reddit famous. Um, maybe that's just my own personal because I, of the subreddits that I subscribe to, but I didn't notice there's a little more of a human connection there. But at the same time, that human connection is 
basically machine learning as a result of it, right? Yeah, to, to some extent. You have to remember. So to, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, a lot went into enabling us to do machine learning. And uh, at the time I left, the, the, the team was just starting to look at TensorFlow. Oh, man, there was some really cool stuff. It was, it was great to, to learn that. Um, but, but in its essence, like Looker, or excuse me, um, uh, uh, Reddit is, uh, uh, it's still a place with a, a subscribe button so that, you know, ultimately you're, you're in charge of your own destiny, like what you want to see on your homepage. Now, um, I think one thing that we could use machine learning and uh, techniques to do is to say like, Hey, what would be interesting to surface to you that you might be interested in? Uh, and there's kind of a couple different techniques to that like you, you've probably seen uh both on the on the mobile app and on the uh on the website um you know th there's these uh, kind of carousels that give you suggested content or what's trending what's hot mm -hmm. the, the other big one is the uh popular page so most people who interact with with reddit are um probably experiencing it for the first time on the popular page mm -hmm. and um that i think you is guys introduced that was yeah. a, a recent addition yeah that was a recent addition and, and again it's really like trying to expose new users to, to what's exciting on Reddit. And, and that popular page is where a lot of the, the uh, experimentation uh, would occur. And um, they're, they're trying a lot of different things. I think to your, to your point, um, some of the uh, adjustments have, um, you know, been around taking advantage of just media formats being more popular. Um, like we were talking about animated GIFs earlier, but, you know, short form video is super popular and Reddit. One of the cool things we got to do at Reddit was build a, uh, a video uh, platform. Um, I think most uh, video that's streamed on, uh, on on Reddit now comes from their internal video platform. Um, and uh, the introduction of that uh, led to, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say adjustments, but, you know, testing the popularity of different formats uh, on the popular page. So they're constantly just trying to see, um, you know, what, what's engaging. But the, the important thing about Reddit is you never lose control. Like you can always just go and say, hey, look, I want to subscribe to you know, uh, the Oroville and I want to subscribe to the wire and I want to get rid of all this political stuff. You always have control yep. over that, you know? Yeah. I, I, maybe that's why I'm seeing less cat pictures. Cause I haven't been <laughs> on the, I haven't spent too much time on the popular page. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it was fascinating to watch as a user that transition because, you know, I've seen, Facebook tweaked their newsfeed algorithm recently. Uh, I just did an episode with like Christina Warren recently. Um, she used to work for Mashable and Gizmodo. Actually, she's now at Microsoft. Um, and, you know, we were talking about how, you know, Facebook changed their newsfeed algorithm to basically eliminate news. Um, yeah. That's what it calls the newsfeed and it no longer contains news. <laughs> um, you know, and they did this as a result of, uh, you know, the 2016 election and some changes they had to make there. And I mean, it resulted in layoffs at BuzzFeed and HuffPo and like some of the major publications because, you know, someone at Facebook tweaked an algorithm. Um, so there's a real potential when you tweak these things that you can have that kind of like butterfly effect. But I feel like Reddit did a really good job of making sure that the butterfly effect was minimized as much as possible. Um, there were some hiccups, but like, I think compared to like what I've seen from Twitter and Facebook and some of the other social media sites, there was like really a concentrated effort at Reddit not to break it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and uh, not to knock Twitter or Facebook, but I mean, there are different scope challenges that we're dealing with. One, one uh, from a data perspective, one uh, kind of key advantage that, that uh, Reddit has is, is the fact that there are communities and you can kind of, um, think about each community as its own little pocket with its own uh, sort of behaviors. And uh, if, uh, if, if one community is a bad actor, it's like, look, there's this pool of people who are <laughs> not playing well in the larger, you know, network of communities. Um, whereas um, with, with Facebook and, uh, and Twitter uh, from a data perspective, it's, it's a little bit more complicated because um, they're really not talking about like identifiable communities per se. They're really more social networks. Right. And, um, that becomes a little bit harder to, um, uh, to, uh, to identify the sense of a community when it's really like distributed amongst, amongst, a, a, you know, thousands and thousands of people who may only be related by the fact that they're interested in a particular hashtag. So, you know, from, from a data perspective, it's a, it's a different sort of, of challenge. 
Um, I think the cool thing with, with, um, with Reddit was, um, you know, you have this advantage of communities uh, and then being a part of the team that was able to, to build the data pipelines and so forth to be able to even understand what was going on with those communities was a, was a really fun task. Um, you know, like I said, when I, when I joined, um, I remember vividly uh, uh, the first, um, uh, one of the first hires I made was a uh, director of our data platform. And uh, I uh, was asking him, like, why is it so challenging to, to do things like A-B testing and, um, you know, get experiments running? And uh, he said, Nick, he took me aside and he showed me um, just a dump of uh, what Reddit's event schema looked like. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was the first time I really understood the scope of the problem. It was like a 10,000 column event, sch <laughs> event schema with uh, just all sorts of unstructured data within each column, yeah. I mean, just a, a really tangled web. So we ended up having to spend the first, uh, I would say two to three months of his tenure, just redoing our uh, event schema. And then because I was coming from a, a world of, of uh, you know, becoming coming from Power BI, where, which is a very like use a star schema type approach to, to handle data, we started trying to do traditional ETL and, and star schema on top of that. In retrospect, I, I wish, I had known that like Looker existed because I, I would have saved ourselves a lot of time. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you, you live and learn. Um, but, you know, we, we ended up, uh, I think, after about four months with a, a schema that we, uh, we were really proud of and the ability to, to do experiments. I think there's still, uh, I don't have a lot of insider info at this point, but I, I think they're still trying to figure out how to move away from those complex uh, ETL jobs. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully they'll, uh, spot looker and, uh, and realize <laughs> the solutions right there. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get this episode out to your, uh, your old bosses there. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, like I said, it was, I can, I, I having followed Reddit for a while, I can only imagine the kind of issues they had. I mean, from what I understand, it was just a lot of duct tape, um, a lot of duct tape yeah. you know, and there, the team went through multiple transitions over, you know, co-founders leaving, coming back and, you know, multiple CEOs and controversy there and all kinds of, you know, different, they had a lot of turnover during a lot of those times as well. So you had one person who would build a solution, I'm sure, and then they're gone. And then another team comes in and instead of undoing that, they just layered on top of it. And, uh, yeah, yeah it, it gets tangled, uh, with those well, kinds of projects. Yeah. I was, I was kind of fortunate to miss the, the, um, the worst of it. Yeah, no, they, they hired me in to like help kind of grow the team and, 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 uh, you know, fix some of those obvious problems. So I, I, I didn't live through much of the turmoil you're describing, you know, like at one point there was got a, in right after yeah, exactly. a lot of the turmoil, all the dust had settled. And I'm pretty sure that's about when you, you came into the picture. Yeah. I, I came right at the tail end of that. And what I saw was, um, you know, Reddit has, um, even when I, even when I joined, like just super sharp, um, uh, uh, engineers and, and, and not just technically smart, but very passionate about the uh, platform. So, you know, e even though there was this, uh, you know, as you said, as you said, turmoil, there was, they were left with like a, a solid nugget of um, people who had that institutional knowledge and were really excited about taking Reddit to, to the next level. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, for me to, to build on top of that uh, and, it, and it went, it went really well. Um, I, I think, um, from a, from a community perspective, I think they also learned a lot. I mean, you know, it's mm -hmm. um, a lot of that turmoil came from uh, not managing the, um, the change effectively, right? And uh, the, the core of Reddit is uh, communities and the relationship between, um, you know, uh, Reddit, the company, and then Reddit, uh, you know, in all of its, its major communities. And I, I think they learned uh, an important lesson there that you have to bring the communities uh, along. And, um, you know, from, again, from a data perspective, I, I think if Reddit had had better data and a better understanding of, um, you know, how their communities operate and, you know, uh, who's, you know, who's contributing the most value and so forth, I think they have been armed with that data beforehand, they, they would have made better uh, decisions because they could have mm -hmm. measured the impact of their changes uh, and tested them and experimented more effectively. Um, and maybe that would have avoided some of the, uh, the turmoil, but you know, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think, um, it yeah. did lead them to a place where, uh, you know, they've got great, great data systems and, and, uh, you know, well on their way to, to fully rolling out that redesign. No. And I, I've seen, like I said, as a user, I've seen it 
modernize. And, you know, the, I think for the listener, the context of this is like, this is one of the top 10 websites on the internet. So, and it's live. It's not like you can just take it down over the weekend and, you know, relaunch it. You know what I mean? Like this is, so you, you're working in parallel of trying to, you know, both keep this thing online and also build the next version of it at the same time. And it, I can only imagine the challenges you guys went through, but the scale um, was uh, amazing. I mean, going from, um, uh, you know, we, you know, when I was at Microsoft, I I thought it was cool when our product hit like a a million users (laughs) and like, uh, you know, at, uh, at, uh, at Reddit, it was like day one. I think we were in, uh, I can't say the exact number, but it's like hundreds of millions of of users Mm -hmm. on the site. And it just, you know, it changes fundamentally how you think about rolling out, uh, software, uh, I, it was the first time I'd been exposed to some of these modern data stores like BigQuery. It was the first time I'd been exposed to um, AWS technology, you know, auto scaling, resiliency. Uh, to mm-hmm. Love that. I'd been working 15 years on Azure. And not to knock the fine folks at Azure, but um, I, I don't get a lot of on calls <laughs> with our uh, AWS infrastructure. And, you know, I remember at Microsoft waking up like multiple times a week at 2 a.m. to, to fix uh, restarted nodes and things like that. Um, yeah. So it was, it was fun. I, I think that the transition to, uh, uh, to this kind of different tech stack taught me a lot. And I, I learned, a, you know, my, my favorite learning again was just what's going on in the data engineering space. Like the big query to me, um, you know, at that time it was just mind blowing. Like, you dump, you know, four or five petabytes of data into uh, a big data store and just query it all at once. It's just like stunning to me. Like I, I didn't know this thing was possible. Uh, yeah. And and you can do that in an affordable fashion. Um, you know, and, and and it's it's kind of that learning that that kind of translates to what we're doing here at Looker. It's just the uh, among many trends happening in the in the. Uh, uh, in the world, you know, uh, one is for sure that these modern data stores are just getting cheaper, more powerful, provide more analytics in database. Just, uh, you know, the fact that we can take advantage of that here at, at Looker, I think gives us a, a leg up. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have been flying blind with their applications and their websites and. Oh, for sure. And it's, you know, it's a lot of it's just coming from the engineers and the developers gut. You know, we think this might be the case So let's go build it this way or whatever. Uh, But we're now at a point where, as you said, big data is to the point where, you know, we can actually know. Um, And we're finally able to take all these large amounts of data and actually get real analytics and real analysis from them. Yeah, for sure. I read read a stat the other day. I think it was in in the latest Gartner BI analytics report. It said something like uh, 80% of structured data goes unused, Mm -hmm. uh, which is... You know, if you're in the BI space, this is a problem. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> BI's fundamental tenet is that, you know, um, data and then the combination of data from different sources gives you uh, more insight into how to operate and run your business. And, you know, the, the fact that 80% of, of data is going unused is, is a travesty. And, you know, I think in a world where um, there's more and more SaaS applications popping up every day, like I, I, I try to count the number of SaaS apps I use before like noon, I think I'm up to like 20. Like <laughs> Looker, I think we have 120-ish uh, SaaS apps deployed in the company. Each of these is a new data silo that like mm-hmm. needs to be connected uh, and modeled. And um, there's more and more of these things popping up. People, uh, people use data in their day-to-day lives now in a way that we wouldn't have thought possible, you know, five, five ten years ago. Um, you know, the delivery driver I just mentioned, using a data-powered app to tell them where to go. Um, you know, the, the factory floor worker who's doing uh, inventory lookup on the factory floor. Everyone needs, at, like, ready access, not just to business data, but the ability to take uh, action on it as well. Um, so these are, these are trends that I think are uh, overpowering. Like, and if you care about uh, BI and, and you care about analytics, you've really got to be tuned into more and more SaaS apps, um, people want and need data to get their jobs done. Uh, and then these modern data stores are just making um, it, you know, more and more uh, easy to, uh, uh, to see all of your business data in one spot if you make the right technical choices. And are there any new technologies that, are, that have your attention that uh, you're interested in right now? Oh, man, I've got to be careful about... Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I am in no way, shape, or form recommending specific uh, data vendors in this po- podcast, but I will say that we um, we spend a lot of time uh, talking to the teams over at S- Snowflake and BigQuery, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, both of these uh, uh, database uh, uh, providers have just stunningly um, amazing stuff coming down down the pipe. Um, not just the ability to to to, to push large amounts of, of data into into their stores, but they're also coming up with, um, you know, transparently they will optimize, um, you know, your access uh, to that data. They'll pull some of it in memory and make it a little bit faster based on your query history. And they'll do that in an, a completely transparent fashion. More analytics going into the products, like the, the BigQuery machine learning stuff uh, is, is something that's super cool. You can do kind of uh, some some simple uh, TensorFlow analysis directly within the database. That that is super cool, and I guess that leads me to another thing I'm pretty excited about. Just um, the power of, of of machine learning over the last uh, even a year or two. I mean, it's just it's just stunning to me, like how quickly things have changed. And uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm speaking as a person who like I went to uh, to school to to like my my degree. I can't, I won't say, I won't be a uh, jerk and say what, what school I went to, but I have a degree that is in, uh, in machine learning and I'm really, really passionate about it, but it's always been like a, a, a huge challenge. I remember like for one of my thesis projects, I was just trying to recognize like on a, on a flat white background, I'm trying to recognize a shape, like, is this a cat or not? Right. And if you could get like 65, 75% accuracy, on that simple task, you were considered state of the art. And now what you see, it's just insane. It's, um, you can have a grainy black and white video, uh, you know, not even zoomed in of like multiple actors, cats, you know, people walking around and it will in real time be able to look at that and, and label all of those things. And um, it's, just, it's just stunning. The other thing I would say in that space is, it, it's not even hard to learn anymore. I remember, you know, when I was trying to learn um, machine learning, you had to, you had to down to the level of like, what is a perceptron? Like you had to code that yourself. And what, you know, nowadays it's like, download a library. <laughs> yeah. Python import and you're two, two, you know, 20 minutes away, you know, Python import and maybe a, read a few blog posts and you're 20 minutes away from doing like the most advanced image recognition uh, the world has ever seen. Um, you know, when I, back when I was at, at, uh, at Reddit, that I saw this, like we had a, an intern come in and he wanted to um, learn about uh, TensorFlow. And um, we're like, yeah, we throw you some TensorFlow credits. And he was able to get up and running in a couple of weeks and make models that were like competitive with, you know, what our, uh, our, uh, our data engine data science team had been doing. We did, not to say we shipped it, you know, they, they picked up his work and, and took it from there. But I was really impressed with, with how quickly you could get up and, and running. I don't think you really need, you know, like, like I said, my, my, my degree was, was focused in, in machine learning. And I, I think nowadays when people ask me about that sort of formal education, I tell them, like, you, you probably don't need it. Like, you can get really, really far in machine learning and just focus on the practical applications of it without having to understand the, uh, the underlying mathematics uh, uh, of it. And I think that's a really powerful thing, that, that abstraction. Did you ever, and I, I don't know if I should bring this up, but I'm going to do it anyways. Did you ever see deep fakes? Ah, uh, yeah, I've seen that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a little scary. I mean... Yeah, uh, just I want to provide a little context for yeah. the listener. Um, so, deepfakes is a uh, it's a machine learning algorithm. I think actually, I think you guys banned it from Reddit because there was like a yeah. there was at one point a deepfakes community. It's an algorithm that can draw someone's face that's like photorealistic onto someone else's body. So, like you could do this for political purposes. Uh, you could do this. I mean the the main use case that I was coming out of it was adult content. Um, and like people were using it for revenge porn and all kinds of kind of insidious things. So I, I understand the intentions of, you know, why that wouldn't be a good thing to uh, allow a community to build around. No, but, that's bad uh, stuff, man. I think, I think um, it's crazy. And that's, you can download it. I mean, it's available online still, you know, it's obviously not on Reddit anymore, but uh, you know, it's, it's out there. Um, yeah, no, I mean, these technologies definitely, they, these technologies definitely have the, the potential to be misused. I mean, one, one thing I've advocated for is, um, you know, thoughtful 
early regulation around how some of these technologies get used. Because I think what we're seeing is a trend where um, there are there are applications of of, of these um, uh, uh, neural network technologies where they're more accurate than than human beings. Like we've we've exceeded that threshold, yeah. and that means that we're only going to become more and more dependent on these these uh, these systems. And to me, that means we need to think about. Um, regulation pretty early. But I mean, not to be a scaremonger, I mean, I, I think there are misuses, but the potential for upside is, uh, even with the algorithm that you just mentioned, like that, that uh, deep fakes uh, stuff is based on a, 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 a approach called adversarial neural networks. And um, I can't say the name of the company because they're a looker partner, but like they're using adversarial neural networks, not to, not to simulate people, but to simulate um, data sets. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine like if you could, um, you know, simulate health data, like without revealing personal information around health data, you could simulate it in a way that was still, uh, uh mathematically representative of the underlying data set. And if you could do that, you could solve one of the biggest problems in the medical healthcare space. Like you could have a data set that could, that you could distribute to, uh, to researchers uh, at scale and they could use it to, to, to help, uh, 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 cure diseases. Um, right now you have, uh, you, you can't do that. It's a hard problem because most medical data sets have uh, personally identifiable, identifiable information in them and laws and compliance and yeah you definitely yeah, want to be safe yeah you definitely want to be safe with this this information because it's so personal and so valuable but adversarial neural networks are, are an approach you could use to um to simulate this this data in a way that could uh, unlock it uh, to, to researchers and really open up whole new uh, uh approaches uh, uh to, to medical treatments so i oh, there, awesome. there's there's certainly cause for concern, like no question, but there's also just uh, so much upside as well. Did you follow the Cambridge Analytica situation at all? I'm not super familiar on, on Cambridge Analytica, but um, yeah, but uh, but I, I'm 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 vaguely aware. Of it. Yeah, so it was you know basically what they did is uh, they bought Facebook data and took the data from Facebook ran it through psychological profile, like, you know, like the Myers-Briggs, like personality tests and that kind of stuff. So they created algorithms to take your Facebook data, create a personality type based on that data and like fit you into different boxes of what your personality type is, then use that to figure out, you know, what your political leanings were. Because you can take, once you figure out that personality characteristics from that data, you can then figure out, you know, what way this person might vote. Are they more on the left? Are they more on the right? Are they more in the middle? So they use that data to then figure out who they should advertise to and how to hyper-target them mm-hmm. because they knew, okay, if I'm going to, you know, in this case, they were trying to get Donald Trump elected. So they knew, okay, this person's going to vote for Hillary. There's nothing I can do to, to necessarily convince them uh, to vote for Trump. So maybe we won't run ads against that person Let's run ads against the person in the middle that we can potentially sway. One of the things that I wrote about early on, a year before the mainstream media picked it up, was um, there was actually what I think happened is they targeted certain people that they knew were kind of on the fence and convinced them not to vote. Um, Hmm. And I think that was one of the tactics that Cambridge Analytica did successfully in some of the swing states. Um, And that was all based off data they bought and kind of borrowed from Facebook. Um, and Facebook probably shouldn't have given you that, some of that <laughs> data. Um, and then, yeah, being able to run it through these algorithms to figure out personality types and then use that for marketing purposes, you know, had a, uh, it potentially had an impact on the 2016 election. I mean, that that's very real, like that AI and machine learning, like is playing a, a part in our society and our elections it's in a reality. Yeah, I mean, this is why I, my opinion on on this this sort of thing has kind of changed over the last couple of years. Just as I've seen how powerful the combination of, of, of data plus a social network can be, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think um, data ethics, and, and I'm going to say, you know, getting ahead of regulation uh, on this is very very important. I, I don't want to bang on on Facebook uh, at all because I, I, you know, I. I know those there's folks there working hard, but 
um, they have a really tough challenge to, to figure out how to be responsible with the channel that they've, they've created. And there are examples, uh, and again, I'm not saying that this is intentional by any means. I don't think it's intentional, but, but it is what it is. It is a very powerful channel that can be manipulated, and it's super important um, to, to, uh, to, to not just encourage them, but in my opinion, like force them to, to think through the, the usage of the data and the ethical uh, implications of it very, very quickly. Um, you know, I've had conversations with, with folks at, at Facebook and, and Twitter about this as well. And, um, you know, they're going to use the data to solve the problem. So the, uh, <laughs> it, yeah. it turns, it turns out you can, um, you can use that data again for, for good or, or ill. If, um, if, if bad actors can influence social networks, it also means that the social networks have the opportunity to detect those bad actors. Um, the question is really around the ethical implications of it. You know, how far do they go? I think, Everyone agrees that, uh, you know, uh, hey, election manipulation is bad. At least we agree now. <laughs> Sorry, <that> was, <laughs> yeah. Maybe five years ago, that would have been a debate. But, like, we all agree now. So, you know, they're going to go after, after uh, uh, solving that problem. But the question is then what's next, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of hate speech online. So uh, are we going to use those same tools that, that uh, you know, we, we use to stop the uh, election fraud to then, to then go after hate speech? Seems like a good idea. But then we better figure out, like, ethically, what do we mean when we're, we're talking about hate speech? Someone has to, you know, figure out what that, that line is uh, and start enforcing it. Um, the tools are there. I mean, I, I think that the data can be used for, for good, or, good or evil, but, like, you've got to make tough decisions about um, how we want decorum and, 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 these, and these channels to, to operate. Yeah. And then there's also always the argument of free speech. And, That's it. Yeah. you know, it's in the Constitution. Uh, probably for a reason. At the same time, they didn't have the internet back then. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, so many things have changed. And I mean, we all carry around smart, you know, devices in our pockets and we're wearing them on our wrists now as watches. And, you know, now everything's just, it's a totally, totally digital world now. And there's so many data points. Um, with all that said, this is the Hacker Noon podcast. And, here I'm talking to a big data guy and I got to ask you, uh, what is sometime in your life that you've had to hack something? A lot of, a lot of times I've had to hack something. Do I, do I have to do one answer or can I just ramble? You can, do, you can <laughs> ramble, go for it. Give me a few hacks. Well, I like, I like to give two hacks. I mean, like one was like from my time as a, a as an IC developer and, you know, trying to, trying to bake the, um, make the, um, the, the spell checker that's used at Microsoft. So um, my first project at the company was, uh, to rewrite their spell checker to use um, uh, machine learning approaches, a statistical spell checker, and to have it work in 140 languages. And in my defense, uh, this was at a time uh, <laughs> where we didn't have GitHub and all this mature version control and so forth. So <laughs> I, I have, fell for one of the cardinal sins. I, uh, I was working on a huge rewrite, uh, never checked in um, for probably about two, three months straight, and the hard drive crashed. Uh, and I lost all of my code and had to rewrite all of it, uh, to hit a deadline, like about a week and a half later. And, um, I not only lost the code, I lost the, um, the machine learning training data and the algorithms behind it. So my first big hack as an engineer was to hand tune the spell checker so that I could ship it within my week and a half. Uh, <laughs> um, they fixed it later, uh, with the, the approach. <laughs> Um, the second one is more like a career hack. I, I, um, I find that like, as I get further on in my career, I like to, I like to give back and uh, just try and give advice to people who are up and coming. I, I think, uh, so I do a lot of career hacks and one of my favorite ones, uh, is an answer to the question of like, Hey, how do I get ahead? How do I get opportunities, uh, uh in my workplace? And I have a, a simple hack. It, it is to, um, you know, go to your manager or your peer and you ask them, um, you know, what would you do if you had an extra pair of hands? And you'll find that, like, if you ask that question to, to almost anyone, you will find uh, tons and tons of opportunities for you to pitch in and expand both your knowledge and maybe impact 
the business in some new way. And going back to that um, spell checker example I gave you, the reason I was on that that project is because I had gone to my manager and be like, hey, I want to have a big impact. What do you need to do? And he's like, well, Nick, like spell checker is really old. We got to expand it to 140 languages. If you want to take a shot at it, why don't you uh, be the guy who runs the spell checker? And that, um, you know, minus that one little blip <laughs> in the implementation yeah. really became the the foundation for for my career. I uh, started with the spell checker, got into natural language and machine learning, and um, you know, and uh, things kind of took off from there. That's awesome. And do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I I think that um, can I plug my product one more time? I think yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't want to be too on it, but I, I am passionate about working on, on, uh, on Looker. And I think that, um, the, the, the thing I would want to leave the audience with particular, particularly those who are interested in, in, uh, in, in data and, and, and data ops. Yeah. The world is really changing right now. It's changing in a super interesting way. And, um, you know, if you, if you still think Hadoop clusters are the future and that, you know, um, uh, empowering your, uh, workforce, you know, with BI dashboards is the future. I, I want to tell you, you, you should come and talk to us. Um, what's happening in the world is everyone uses uh, data in some way, shape, or, or, or form. Uh, and you've got to, if you're an analyst, uh, you've got to figure out ways to reach them that are modern. Um, you know, my, uh, a school teacher uh, doesn't want a BI dashboard but they do need to know which of their students is, is, is failing, right? Mm-hmm. Their factory floor worker doesn't want a BI dashboard, but does need to be warned when his inventory levels are going uh, to drop next week, right? So I, I think the way forward for analysts, uh, uh, who are always going to be the, the heroes in the, in the data equation, like the analysts will always be the data superhero. But in, in a modern world where everyone needs data, and everyone is accustomed to, uh, to operating data in a, in a tool that is, you know, really tailored to what they're trying to, trying to, to do, some specific job. The role of the analyst switches from being primarily the hero to enabling data heroes throughout the organization. So heroes should make new heroes. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll stop there. No, I, I think that's very valid, uh, especially as we move forward into this, you know, automated future that we're marching towards. Um, you know, it's about empowering people if we use this technology correctly. Absolutely, absolutely. And do it with Looker. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, where can people find you and uh, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, so, I mean, if you want to get in touch with me, you can always uh, hit me up on, uh, on, on Twitter at uh, Nick Called. Uh, I have a ton of articles uh, on uh, Medium. One of my uh, passions is uh, is writing, and I'm actually a feature writer for writer for Hacker Noon. So I got a, a bunch of stuff published there. Just search for Nick Cald- Caldwell on uh, on Medium. And then if you're interested in uh, in Looker, just go to Looker.com and check out our site. Uh, we uh, we do have a platform uh, that uh, is the best when it comes to using modern. Uh, 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 data sources. And, uh, you know, if you're passionate about data engineering and data ops, you got to check this out. It's going to save you a lot of time. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.